Good morning. Good to see everyone here today. We have a beautiful Lord's Day morning on which to meet and worship, and we're grateful for that. Grateful for the presence of uh, some who are our guests today, and we hope that this will not be the, the only time that uh, you come and worship with us, but that we'll see you often. Uh, good to see everyone here today. Bill mentioned uh, about, you know, excusing him for his voice. Uh, we seem to all have that voice right now, you know. <laughs> And uh, probably will for some time. Have you ever wondered what an angel's voice would sound like? You know, I've heard people say when they hear beautiful singing, you know, they say it sounded like the voice of angels. And I always think, how do you know? <laughs> how do you know what an angel's voice sounds like? I just wonder what the voice sounded like when the angel Gabriel came from the presence of God and made an announcement to Mary that she was going to become pregnant and give birth to the Son of God. I just wonder what that sounded like. You know, earlier, uh, Gabriel had uh, appeared to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And when Zechariah expressed some doubt about what the angel had said, that, that in their old age, he and Elizabeth would be able to have a child, the angel said, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. I don't imagine that was a light, airy voice when he said that, do you? I imagine it was pretty heavy. You know, it's impressive because the only other time in the Bible that Gabriel appeared to somebody uh, up until this point was in the book of Daniel, when he appeared twice to the prophet Daniel to help him understand some of the visions that he was seeing. <clears throat> but then Luke chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 says that Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Can you imagine that? From the very presence of God, this angel comes to an humble village like Nazareth to an ordinary young Jewish girl to bring her a message that would change the world. From the presence of God to the presence of Mary. And even though he greeted her by saying, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you, she was afraid. And I suspect part of that was the vision of the angel. I don't know what that looked like. And I suspect part of that was the voice of the angel. She didn't know what all this was about. She didn't know what the greeting meant. She didn't know how to, how to take any of this. And Gabriel said, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. I'm sure she was glad to hear that. You know, very often when God's messengers appeared to people, they would say, do not be afraid. And I think that tells us something about the, uh, the appearance of an angel. It was frightening. It was terrifying. Later in the Gospel of Luke, that happens to the shepherds, and they're afraid also. And they're told the same thing, don't be afraid. But Gabriel appears to Mary and tells her that she's found favor of God, with God. She's going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit and give birth to a son who would be the son of God. And I can't help but think that one question that must have entered Mary's mind as Gabriel was saying that and as she thought about it later was, Why? Why me? Why me of all people? How did, how did I come to be the favored one? 
Why has God chosen me for this great task? And you know, that's a good question. Why, Mary? Why not somebody else? Why not one of the other thousands of other young Jewish virgins who could have received Gabriel's visit? Why her? Now, before we try to answer that question, I want to remind you that a lot of the things that we have heard about Mary for the last 21 centuries are not true. First one we mentioned last week, it is not true that Mary remained a virgin all her life. We know that the Bible says, as we saw last week, that Jesus had four brothers and he had more than one sister. It just says sisters in the plural, their names are not given, so we don't know how many. At least two. And also the scripture in Luke chapter 2 and verse 7 says that when Mary gave birth, she gave birth to her firstborn son. You can't have a firstborn without having a secondborn. And then she had a thirdborn and fourthborn. So it's not true that she remained a virgin all of her life. Secondly, it is not true that she serves as an intermediary between us and Jesus. There are people who believe that. There are people who pray to Mary, and there are people who pray through Mary, thinking that they need her intervention somehow, that we can't get to God, we can't communicate with God, that we need a, a mediator between us and God, and that Mary is that mediator. But the Bible never teaches such a thing. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 says, There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. We do not need Mary or anybody else as a mediator between us and God. We only need Jesus for that. And Jesus taught the disciples to pray in his name, not in hers. Third, it isn't true that Mary had some divine qualities. That's a part of the story that goes around about her is that after the birth of Jesus, because she had given birth to the Son of God, that she must have had divine qualities, that she was more than just a human being. And yet the scriptures show us just the opposite. They show us that she was very human. There's that great story, that one single account of the childhood of Jesus that we have in Luke chapter 2. When he was 12 years old and he got separated from his parents on a visit to Jerusalem at Passover and they thought that he was with some of their friends and relatives who were traveling together. And so they, they get three days toward home and realize he's not there. And they go back. And I, I just love the, the part where it says, you know, talks about Mary fussing on him. You know, she did. She was the anxious mom. Why have you worried us so? How many of you ever heard that from your mother? Why have you worried us so? She was just being human. And we know that she was being human in Mark chapter 3 when along with Jesus' brothers and that because of uh, questioning his identity, not being quite sure what was going on, that they went to take charge of him because they thought he was out of his mind. She didn't have divine qualities. She wasn't superhuman. She was very human. But as human as she was, Scripture says enough wonderful things about her that we don't need to invent anymore. We just need to pay attention to what it says about her. So let's go back to our question then. Why Mary? Why was she chosen to be the mother of Jesus? Well, for one thing, it's because she was the Virgin Mary. It's because she was sexually pure. And let's not overlook that. You know, we might think that's just sort of a, a given. That's just sort of a mundane part of the story. But it isn't. It's a very significant part of the story. 
Mary has, she puts in her, in her own words, when the angel, angel says you're going to give birth to a son, she says, how can this be? I have not known a man. She has remained sexually pure all of her life up until that point. Luke chapter 1 and verse 34. Uh, and then in uh, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, we're told that she was betrothed to Joseph, but they had not come together yet. Now, betrothal was kind of like engagement, but with a contract. Betrothal was more serious. It was a legal arrangement. And it could only be broken by a divorce. And you remember that when Joseph found out about Mary's condition, he resolved to divorce her quietly, the Bible says. And we think divorce, they weren't married yet. But they were betrothed, and that was a legal arrangement. But the point that's made is they had not come together yet. They had not had any sexual relations yet. This is before they came together. And you may be sitting there thinking, well, why is that important for us? It's important for all of us, and it's especially important for our younger folks. You know, we're living in a world that tries to make us think that nobody practices sexual abstinence or purity anymore. And that it isn't cool to do that, that that's not even a goal, that, that, that the goal is to not be sexually pure just as early as you possibly can. And I don't know whether you know it or not, but that's just a lie. That's just not true. There are a lot of people who value their sexual purity. There are a lot of people who want to keep themselves for the person that they marry and, and only to that person. There are a lot of people who are that way. And even if there weren't, you ought to want to be that way. I know the usual reasons that you hear because of this. You know, you're warned about unwanted pregnancies and about diseases and about uh, the hazards of being a single parent and the fact that you're probably, if you have a, a baby before you're out of high school, you're almost certain to live a life of poverty. That's statistically the case. The statisticians don't usually tell you that, but that's true. But those are not the main reasons why Christian young people should want to keep themselves sexually pure. The main reason is the one Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. God didn't give you your body to use any way you want to. God didn't give you your body to use the way somebody else wants to use it. God gave you your body to glorify him. Mary realized that. And she had kept herself pure. She's a great example to follow. Another reason why Mary is because she was devoted to God's service. Just imagine, you're 14 to 18 years old. I know in all the, all the artwork we see of Mary, she looks to be about 38, you know. <laughs> but she wasn't. Uh, she was a, a girl. Jewish girls were typically betrothed to their husbands, who typically were somewhat older than they were, between the ages of 14 and 18. And so think of her in that way. So you're 14 to 18 years old, and an angel tells you you're about to become pregnant before you're married, and you have no idea what's going to be the reaction of your family or your friends or of your prospective husband. How is all this going to shake out? Can you imagine the thoughts that must have been racing through her mind when he told her that? We have to think of that practically. She did. Yet when you hear what God has in mind, you say, like Mary, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to his will. 
In spite of all those difficulties, in spite of all those obstacles, she said one thing. There's only one thing that really matters, and that is that I am God's servant. And I'm ready for anything that God brings my way. That is the spirit of servanthood. That is the spirit of servanthood. Whatever God brings our way, we're ready to use it in his service. Now, none of this was going to be easy for Mary. Don't you just imagine that the townsfolks in Nazareth, how many of them do you think believed her story about the angel and, and God and all that? Don't you just know that when the word got around, you know, she, they haven't come together yet, but she's pregnant. And she said, God did it. And everybody said, yeah, we know about that. It was not going to be easy for her because people weren't likely to believe her story. Luke chapter 2, verses 33 to 35, when Jesus was taken to the temple for purification, when he was 40 days old, according to the law of Moses, an old prophet named Simeon blessed Joseph and Mary, but then he said specifically to Mary, he said these words specifically to her, he said, behold, this child is set for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. He was letting her know, this isn't going to be easy for you. This isn't going to go easy. You're going to have a sword pierced through your own soul. We see something of the strain that Mary lived under in John chapter 2 at the wedding feast in Cana. When she urged Jesus, when the message came, they've run out of wine, and she goes over to him, apparently with some sense of urgency, and says, they don't have any wine. And we're kind of taken aback by his response because he says, woman, now don't go home and say that to your mom. But it didn't, it didn't mean the same thing then, all right? It was, not a, it was not a put down or a put in your place. But he says, woman, what does that to do with you and me? And we think, what's going on there? What's Mary wanting Jesus to do? I don't think she knew what she wanted him to do, but I think she wanted him to do something. I think she saw this as the golden opportunity for him to do something amazing that would vindicate her. He's now 30 years old. She has lived with the stigma and the gossip of the circumstances of her pregnancy for 30 years. And when this opportunity arises, she goes to him and she says, they don't have any wine. And he has to sort of back her off. And he says, my time has not yet come. It's not time for me to do what you're wanting. It's not time for me to reveal myself in the way that you want me to reveal myself. That comes later, but it comes through a cross. So it wasn't time. It wasn't time. But that soul, sword was piercing through her soul. And then when she had to stand at the foot of a Roman cross and watch her own son Suffer and die. Don't you know that she felt that sword piercing to the very depths of her soul? But in spite of all that, she said, I am the servant of the Lord. 
Let it be to me according to your word. That's what servants of the Lord do. They answer the call. They, they accept whatever the Lord sets before them to do, regardless of the cost. There may have been thousands of young girls in Galilee who could have answered that call, but how many of them would? And Mary did, and God knew she would. And that's why Mary. But another reason why Mary is because no doubt she was chosen because of her great spiritual depth. Even though she is very, very young, she has great spiritual depth. After Mary learned that she would give birth and that her relative Elizabeth would give birth also, she went to see her. Elizabeth was six months along in her pregnancy, and I just sort of suspect that Mary needed the comfort. She needed to get away. She needed to spend time with an older woman who was going through something very similar, who had an amazing thing happening to her in her life. And she stayed with her for three months, the Bible says. But, you know, it's a long journey from Galilee down to Judah, especially if you're walking and you're pregnant or riding a donkey. I don't know which is worse. But it's a long way down there. And when she arrived, Elizabeth greeted her enthusiastically and uttered a, Mary uttered a profoundly beautiful and reflective song of praise that we call the Magnificat. This is verses 46 to 55. You think, well, why is it called the Magnificat? You may even have that heading in your Bible. The reason it's called that is because in the Latin translation, the very first word of that poem is Magnificat. My soul magnifies, magnifies my soul the Lord. And so she utters this profoundly beautiful and moving song of praise. It's very, very thoughtful, and it's filled with praise and, and rejoicing because of the way that God is blessing her. He has regarded the lowest state of his servant. He's looked on me, Mary says, and he has blessed me. He's done something for me that I could never have done for myself. And then she goes ahead and she says, and by the way, all throughout our history of our people, he's done that for Israel. He's lifted them up. He's delivered them from their enemies. He's turned the tables when it looked like it was all over for them. He has continued to bless us as a people. And she describes the ways that God has throughout history lifted up those of low estate and brought down the proud and the mighty, especially has blessed his people, Israel. Now, this song is so profound and so moving and so powerful that a lot of scholars doubt that Mary wrote it. They think this is an uneducated peasant girl from Nazareth. How could she compose something that beautiful, something that thoughtful, something that profound? Somebody else probably wrote that, maybe Luke, and put those words in her mouth to make the story better. But I don't think that's what happened. I think for one thing, those scholars forget just how creative and thoughtful teenagers can be. You know, they can be pretty clever, can't they? They can be pretty imaginative. They can have great depth of, of thought. They are capable of amazing insights and creativity. Besides, this teenager was obviously steeped in the scriptures of her faith. 
because her song just bristles with references to what God had said and what God had done in the Hebrew Bible. It's just filled with that. Obviously, she had thought long and deeply. You know, you don't have to be 50 years old to, have been a, to be a devout student of the Bible. Do you know that? You don't have to do that. You can do that when you're a teenager. You can devote yourself to the study of Scripture. You can think deeply on the Word of God. You think deeply about a lot of other stuff, don't you? Of course you do. You can think deeply about the Word of God. And Mary did think deeply about the Word of God. Besides, on that long journey from Galilee down to Judah, she had a long time to think about all this as she made her way. And then, of course, there is the fact of God's inspiration. We need to be lifted up by her song. We need to be taught by it. We need to be reminded by her song. And so Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has regarded the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And we still do, don't we? We don't worship Mary. We don't pray to her. We don't pray through her. But because of her faith and her servant spirit and her purity and her spiritual depth and insight, we call her blessed and we honor her. And we know that we all, all need to be more like her. If you're ready to come to Christ this morning, the invitation is open to you. Let's stand together and sing. I must be 